welcome to West by Pod Virginia, the best-named West Virginia podcast on the whole wide internet, presented by SmokingMusket.com. Follow us on the Twitter and Instagram at SmokingMusket. I'm your host, Matt Kirchner. You can find me at mkirchner12 on Twitter, and I'm joined by our head honcho, Mike Miller. How are you doing today? Hey, uh, pretty good. Um, if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter for whatever reason, uh, it's uh, at westbygod underscore. Because somebody's squatting on just West by God. Asshole. And if anybody's interested, I am also the executive tweeter over on our account, where you will occasionally find me tweeting things that are tangently related to West Virginia sports. So we've got a probably a quick show for you all today. I'm just going to hit on a few things. We've got some basketball draft process recap, how Javon Carter helped himself during the process and what Sagaba Kanate is going to have to do to get himself up into the lottery next year. We're going to do a quick dive into some football previews. We have uh, Bill Connolly's preview from West Virginia dropped on Thursday last week, and we'll take a quick look on that, and we're going to have Bill C. on the show next time to do a deep dive into the entire Big 12, so look forward to that. We're going to dive into Skylar Howard living his best life in Japan as the star quarterback of the Obic Seagulls of the X-League, heading to the Peach Bowl final. And then we're going to finish off with the dumb thing of the year of the week, and that's going to be Oliver Luck becoming the commissioner of the XFL, which, <laughs> more on that later. I still can't believe that's a thing that I just said. So, Mike, you want to go ahead and get started, and we'll talk some basketball? Yeah, we'll go ahead and dive in. Uh... So the the NBA draft combines come and went. Uh, we've already went through the lottery. Uh, the Suns had the first pick. We've already we've discussed all that. I'm sure everybody has. Um, so Javon Carter has he he's making waves in the the workouts. Um, the Bob Huggins told Mike Casaza, I believe last week that there are other players when they're finding out Javon is going to these workouts, they're canceling their workouts and rescheduling. Because they don't want to, uh, you know, work out with Javon because they know what he's capable of. That is the absolute most Javon Carter thing that can that could ever happen. Because, and it's true. I, if I were a lottery pick, if I were Trey, if I were Colin Sexton, and I'm going into workouts and I hear Javon's going to be there, you know, you're a better prospect than him, like on paper, and but you don't want to be shown up by a guy that's probably a fringe first-round pick just because you know he's going to go balls of the wall on defense for the entirety of that day and make your life miserable. That's definitely the most Javon Carter little tidbit of draft prep that I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, up to finding out that, I thought him, you know, doing the uh, going full-court press during the, the draft workouts was the most Javon thing, but this is... He's taken it up another level. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely helped himself a ton in this pre-draft process. He's gone from a draftable prospect that you would see in and out of mock drafts, mostly towards the 50 to 60 range, as somebody who may have worked himself up to a fringe first-rounder if the right situation is there, but more likely an early second-rounder that's definitely going to make a roster, I think. I'm pretty sure we have seen quotes attributed from NBA scouts, NBA front office people who say that he is a lock to make a roster next year, which as a fringe first round pick in the NBA with how that process works is 
pretty fantastic. And even if he's not up with the main team for 82 games next year, we're going to hear some fantastic stories about Javon Carter full court pressing in the G League. Oh, for sure. I mean, Javon was never... He's never been the... He's not going to be a star NBA player. I mean, he's not going to be Steph Curry or LeBron. He is a solid role player. He's going to make a team, and he's going to stick there. Like, he's going to be that guy. The comparison I really like for Javon Carter as what he can dig a niche out in the league as and his best-case scenario is Jameer Nelson. And that is... Fantastic. That would be the best professional West Virginia basketball player in a very long time if he carves himself out as Jameer Nelson. As How long has Jameer Nelson been in the league? Oh, he's still in it. It's going on. I think he's pulled out 13 to 15. He was on that St. Joseph's Yeah, He was drafted in 2004. Team. Yeah, and he's still in the league. Yeah, so 14 years in the league. <laughs> That's, no, no, that's, that's the best a... case scenario. He has had right. He's been a starting point guard, but as a best case scenario, that's where I can see Javon. He's never going to light up the scoreboard. He doesn't have a consistent shot to do that. But he's going to defend, and he's going to really annoy people. Yeah, and I think the. I mean, of course, GMs already. I think they understand that. They know what they're going to get with him. Um, I know. I read a report, I don't remember who it was from, uh, the Sixers, basically said if he can come in and get six six points a night and just cause havoc on defense, that's all they need out of him. That's what you want from Javon Carter. What you see with what you get is what you get has always been his M.O. If you're relying on him to be a a lockdown, like a... You're relying on him to be a consistent scorer night in, night out. It's not what you want, but he is going to be a guy that you can isolate on defense, and he'll hold his own against damn near anybody. Yeah, so uh, the Sixers, like I said, Sixers at 38, that's a good fit, I think, um, because they've got Ben Simmons. Javon can come in off the bench and cause that havoc. I mean, you're gonna see that's, that that's the perfect spot for him. Yeah, I think that's a good spot, especially because they will probably be doing some roster reshuffling, especially if they're going to make a run at LeBron this summer. There will be some roster reshuffling and a cheap rookie that, you are com- that you're confident in in letting him defend for 12 to 15 minutes a game is something you'd want there with LeBron, almost like Delhi in 2015 with Cleveland, a guy that you're comfortable having out there for 10 to 15 minutes a night that'll defend and that'll annoy people. I've got a couple more fits. The, I think the highest you could see him go is um, in the as a fringe first-rounder. Boston's sitting there at 27. Um, if Danny Ainge decides he wants to sell high on Scary Terry after a good playoff run from him with Kyrie coming back next year, um, that's a potential landing spot. I don't know how realistic that is, especially because the NBA is the opposite of the NFL and you are drafting before you make the rest of your roster decisions. But he would be a very annoying Boston Celtic as a Cavs fan. I don't want to see that. And then the other landing spot I see a little bit higher than Philly at 38 is Memphis at 32 because that just sounds right. There's not a more, like, 
grit, grind, blue-collar adjective team in the NBA than Memphis. And that's a guy he can sit and learn behind one of the best defensive point guards in the league with Mike Conley there. As a great yeah, tutor, Conley I feel like, like that's uh, a nice spot. Let's see, Conley has, what, two more seasons after his on his contract, I think? I think after yeah, that? I think that's where he got his contract. It was a four-year deal a couple years ago and the cap spiked. Yeah, that's a perfect tutor situation. Uh, well, and then the only probably. the only other guard they have on their roster uh, is Ben McLemore, and I think he's yeah. he's in his final year of his deal. So, yeah. Javon's so got nice a spot there a, for sure. That's a team that's rebuilding. Um, that he's going to get a chance to play in the NBA and not just exclusively in the G League. You think if he goes to a team like Boston or Philly, he is probably going to spend a lot of time. Um, down developing, but in Memphis you may get a spot where he may be the number two, number three point guard that's going to get legitimate minutes every night. It'll be a good landing spot for him, wherever he ends up. And I just want to see the kid succeed. He deserves it after what he's done for us the last four years. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we get to Sags, I also want to throw in. Uh... Dax Miles has been getting some workouts. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure nothing will come out of it draft-wise. Uh, but he could get a G League spot out of it for sure. Uh, he's oh, worked out for, yeah. I think, the Kings and the Lakers. Um, I want to say the Grizzlies. There's been a few yeah, teams he's, that he's he's worked out for. I mean, he's an athletic guard that can defend. And that's valuable in the NBA if you see developmental league in that. He has an okay shot. Nothing too reliable. But if he gets hot, he gets hot. And he does defend. I mean, he's a Bob Huggins guard. So you know, if nothing else, if you made it through four years of guard duty for Bob Huggins, you're going you're gonna to defend <laughs> no matter what. So I can see a situation where um, he ends up as a camp invite if, from a team that takes Javon. If Memphis drafts Javon, bring Dax in as a camp invite. Hopefully that works out better than the Rams drafting Tavon instead. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to to Sags, what can he do to lift himself into the lottery in 2019? I think there are two major points that he's going to need to work on, both offensively, that are going to make him a lottery pick as a junior next year. First is passing from the post. Um, too many times last year, you saw him get the ball in traffic down low get the double and not recognize that he had an open man that he could kick out to. Now, a lot of that could come down to not being confident in our spot up shooting from three last year, and I won't blame him, but that is a pass that NBA scouts are going to want him want to see him making when he's doubled down low. The other thing is going to evolving that mid-range jumper that you saw him make with decent consistency last year into a three-point jumper. Now, whether Hugs is going to want to live and die with him taking threes is a different issue, but it needs to be something that opens up the floor for one, for passing. Again, that's another thing that will help him out. And two, they may not guard you, and if they're not guarding you, you need to make them pay by hitting that three at least a couple times a game. Even one or two is more than you're getting. 
Um, if he can pull those together, I think there's potential that he develops into a more athletic Draymond Green. And that's best case scenario. And in today's NBA, if Draymond was barely drafted, but if you have a player that you can see have that value now, that's a top 10 pick. So he has oh, an opportunity sure. to make himself a lot of money next year. Yeah, I, I think Draymond pretty much uh, carved out Sags' path for him. Yeah, before this Warriors dynasty emerged, Sags did not have an NBA position. I mean, as a first-round pick, I mean, he's athletic enough, he's a shot blocker. But what he measure at? Was he 6'6 six, six or 6'7? Six, uh, I think it was very that's not NBA that wasn't NBA power forward or center size before this Warriors dynasty. So if he can bundle his athleticism and rim protection with a little bit of development on offense, passing, three point shooting, that's a lottery pick because he's a better rim protector than Draymond is now. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we ever really heard any about where his draft grade, you know, where he graded out. Um, but I feel like he was close to a first round, maybe. Yeah, he helped himself. Uh, because, he I mean, def- he, he helped he, himself he to the point in the that draft I, until like the last minute. Yeah, he helped himself to the point that I sweated it. Because if the right or wrong, whatever, if the right kind of advice was given to him, he very well could have stayed because he in that pre-draft process, went from an undrafted prospect to maybe a fringe first-rounder. Like you said, I never, um, there was never any report of what he was graded. If he was a first-rounder, he would have been gone. But I like, I could see him being graded as a high second-rounder at this point. But being told that, hey, go back, do this, this, and this, and next year, you're a lottery pick. So I think injuries nonwithstanding, I think it's a 99% chance that next year will be the last year we see him in Morgantown, but it's going to be for very good reasons. For sure. I I think that that's probably fair. He's, he's right there. I mean, like you said, he gets that just a couple threes. That's all he needs. Just show that he has that range. Like, that's all it really is. It's showing that you have the range, that that can be a weapon. Because he's not going to shoot it well enough that it's ever going to be guarded. But you need to show that you make them pay for not guarding you. And then, if you make a couple and they start stepping out to guard, that opens up backdoor cuts for Issa, for Lamont. And it gives you a whole different dimension in the half-court offense that we did not have before. So I want to see him stepping out, taking corner threes and taking straight on threes. I mean, he's not going to move around screens and take pull up jumpers. But I think we'll see a few sets with him taking spot shots. And he developed that mid-range jumper more than I was expecting him to last season. That was a big growth in his game. So it's just that next step of taking that extra couple feet out. If he could shoot 25 to 30% from three, that gives yeah, our offense that's... a whole other look, and it gives him 
that extra bit of development on offense that NBA scouts are going to be looking for. Because in today's NBA, in the reign of the Golden State Warriors, if you can't shoot the three or defend three-point shooters, you are unplayable in the NBA. They've completely changed the way the game is played. Yeah, it's going to be even worse when LeBron joins them next year, too. Yep. Don't talk about that. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears then. Uh, let's dive into Bill Connolly's preview a little bit. All right, let's talk about some football. Do a quick dive into this next week because or this week because next time we are going to have Bill C as our very special guest and do a deep dive into the whole Big Twelve as a preview. So, Mike, what did you get the most out of this preview? Uh, I got that my early expectations are pretty much spot on with what uh, with Bill's projections. Um, I don't buy into all this hype that this is going to be the you know eleven and one season or whatever. Um, unfortunately, I think we're going. I've thought this pretty much all off season. We're going to be an eight and four team, uh, maybe nine and three. Then um, Bill's projections have us at. Six and six, but if you look at the the margin, uh, the uh, point margin there, nearly every game on here except for uh, Youngstown State and Kansas and Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are within like a touchdown. Um, every game is going to be a coin flip basically, except those yeah. four. So yeah, you like you have star I mean, power think- there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what he said. He said, we have the star power, we just don't have the depth. Um, now, his projections don't take in transfers into effect, into consideration. Um, and we have You know here, Papa Dana's Transfer Hut and Bail Bond Emporium. <laughs> and we do live and die by the transfer. So it, that's going to be, if these transfers can come in and make some noise on defense and give us some depth, we might come out a little better than what's projected but it's always just felt like an eight and four nine and five or nine and three season for me yeah i think the problem in this offseason this very hype filled offseason is that we have star power and we have a ton of it and this offense should be able to score at will when it's functioning at 100 percent um the moment that becomes not 100 percent is where things become dangerous and you're relying on a lot of question marks on defense. I think it's definitely a bowl team. But 8-4, and four, as much as it's going to hurt people to hear this, is I think what the expectation is. Like you said, we have two games on that schedule that are guaranteed wins. We play Youngstown State and we play Kansas. Every other game on that schedule could swing on one possession. And if you don't, <laughs> if you get the wrong end in that possession, 10 and 2 and 11 and 1 in a Big 12 championship game appearance very quickly becomes 7 and 5, 8 and 4, and we probably have a coaching search next year. Because and that's I really. Something we'll dive into more in another next podcast leading up to the season, yeah. Because I but think we see, might have a coaching search. I think I, that might be the the outcome, no matter what the situation. <laughs> I agree. 
Yeah, we'll talk about this again as we get closer to the season, and probably a little bit with Bill because he and Stephen Godfrey got into it a little bit on an earlier episode of Podcast Ain't Played Nobody this summer. That there's not a ton of spots that you would think would open this year because of how insane last year's coaching carousel was. But the chance of Dana Holgerson taking a lateral move after this season, if we do have a strong season, are higher than a lot of people are going to want to admit. And I'm not just saying that because he blocked us on Twitter. But Unblock us, you coward. <laughs> fight. But he, Bill starts this preview out with talking about the Orange Bowl at the end of that first year. And we've really just been trying to get the magic back from that one game for the last five years. And it wasn't like we pantsed everybody that season either. It was very similar to what we've seen in the Big 12. We had one game where everything clicked, and we've been trying to recapture that since. Now, this offense is the best offense we've had since that season. But you have so many question marks on defense, especially at the line and the secondary. I think our linebackers are strong. I think our starting defensive linemen are strong. But I worry about the rotation. But like you said, if the transfers can come in and give us good time, that becomes a different story. My worst case scenario, personally, this year is look at the schedule and go down into it from September into November and December. We finish with Texas, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. The meat of our schedule is at the end. I think the worst case scenario for Dana and for all of us in this fan base who have to deal with mentions on Twitter when people go nuts is this team getting the breaks it needs early on and winning its toss-ups and starting 8-0 and 7-1 and and then collapsing down the stretch when it hits that meat of the schedule? And I think that is the absolute worst-case outcome. I think even worse than just tanking the season completely for Dana is to start out strong and again collapse down the stretch in November and December. And there are reasons, um, injuries, depth, some calls here or there that may or may not have been good. Right. But his so, legacy right now at West Virginia is the strong start that ends at 7-5 and five in the Cactus Bowl. I yeah, don't basically, know we just need to avoid the, uh, the return of the 2012 season where we start... Fair. Five and zero, and then just crater. Because if this team starts a no, it's going to be the perfect storm for the West Virginia fan base because we're going to start eight and zero against the weak part of the schedule, and we're not going to be ranked where people want us to be ranked. Yeah, I mean, people are already whipping themselves into a frenzy over like just dumb stuff, like Will Greer not being a first rounder. Apparently, I mean, he's going to have a chance. Something we'll dive into later. We'll dive. <laughs> and now is not the time for the deep dive but is the star power there definitely is the potential for this year to be special there definitely 
but I think a lot of people are putting a lot of credence into this team being a lock to win 9 or 10 games, maybe 11, maybe 12. And the numbers don't show it. The depth doesn't show it. Do I think we're going to be 5 and 7? No. But you got to temper your expectations. Right. It's going to take... Like we said, the, some of those transfers to come in, some of the, the freshmen, some of the true freshmen are going to have to step up and give us that depth that we need because we don't have it without them. That's so going to be a very interesting season. I think it is definitely a crossroads for West Virginia football. I think there's a very good chance that one way or the other we're going to look a lot different in 2019 than we do right now. And on that note, let's move on to the feel-good story of the summer. (laughs) Skylar Howard is big in Japan. Huge. He is, uh, in less than, what, a month and a half, he's become more loved by the Japanese fans than he ever has at West Virginia. Definitely. He, it, right now in Japan, it's One Piece, and then it's Skylar Howard is number two <laughs> right now in trending topics in Japan. He has taken the X League by storm. So, for anybody that hasn't followed us, the X League is basically, it's the American Football League in Japan. Um, so, Japanese, like, after university, I guess, the, the guys that played American football in college in Japan... They go on to the X League, and it used to be just like company sponsored. So these guys would work for like IBM, and they would put them on a team. And to be on that team, you had to work for IBM. But that's changed, so now it's open, I guess, to more people. Um, and you can have four international players on each team. And for Skyler, he was lucky enough to land on the Obix Seagulls. And he's there with uh, a Boise State player, a Hawaii player, and a Colorado player, I think. Um, and he's he's led them to the the Pearl Bowl. They just won uh, this morning or last night, twenty three to ten. And on the twenty eighth, they'll play for the Pearl Bowl tor- tournament championship, which is a, a preseason tournament thing, just uh, for the the teams to find out what they have and how they're going to break down the roster, if they want to make any changes and whatnot. Um, and like we said, the fans there have really taken to Skyler. Uh, after the game today, they, they serenaded him with country roads. I saw a WVU flag in the stands. So he's, uh, he's really living his best life. Best life of a West Virginia quarterback in the last decade and a half to two decades after leaving Morgantown at this point. He has to be up there. Outside I mean, it's Gino. You're probably, if you're taking the last two decades, you're cutting out Bolger, which makes me feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it's really between him and Gino. And Gino, he's had a rough career. I mean, he's bounced around. What, he's on his third team now. Yeah. Gino's definitely, and, he, he's secured the bag to an extent significantly more than Skyler. But if you're right. just going on quality of best life, I'm giving it to Skyler over Gino. Oh, for sure. I mean, Skyler, from what I understand, Skyler's getting paid pretty good money. Um, 
American dollars to to play in this league. I think there's only like six or seven games in the season, so it's not like he's 16, 18 games or whatever. He's uh, winning. He his housing's paid for. Uh, I think he has like just extra money to do whatever with. Basically, I saw the other day he was uh, doing virtual reality Mario Kart. <laughs> he's living you his have, best if life. If in you Japan. are, if there is a country language barrier, notwithstanding, because that's very difficult. Um, Japan is probably one of the best places to just live with an income that you can just screw around with. Like, <laughs> there's so much cool stuff over in Japan from a tech standpoint that if your I housing mean, from, is paid for and you just have screw around income, yeah, you're gonna live. From a what good I've seen, life. he just like he eats out, he eats sushi all the time. Like he's just enjoying life right now. And that's awesome because he deserves it. I mean, whether people like to admit it or not, he, Skyler was nineteen and nine all time with West Virginia. I mean, he was he won ten games. We're not saying he was a great quarterback. He won ten games. <laughs> he did good. He was the quarterback he, he gave of it the, all. He was the quarterback of the best season that West Virginia has had since the Big Twelve move. You cannot take that away from him. My favorite um, quote from our friend at Inside Sports Japan, who, along with Skyler, is future guest goals for West Bipod, is in their second game, I believe, against one of their chief rivals in the X-League that they came out and won, that he took a couple huge hits and just popped right back up and kept playing, which is the most Skyler Howard stat of all time because he didn't blow things up like he was not somebody in the quarterback league of the big 12 that was going to consistently throw for 400 to 500 yards but no he was he was going to give you what you needed he was going to play tough he was a one of the toughest guys i've seen i mean he's not a big guy no but you he, he i never doubted into it. i never doubted once at the end of games that we got less than Skyler's 100%. And exactly. that's one of the biggest things that sucked for how he was treated by and a lot of people treated. in this fan base. Yeah. Right. He is treated by some people as a pariah. He has done nothing wrong except give everything to this program, his body. And it, it's an interesting right. parallel that I just sort of thought of. <sighs> Javon Carter and Skylar Howard. Oh, wow. Clearly more postseason success. But what is the number one thing that people bring out of why they love Javon? Is that for it's four tough. years, there was never a single doubt that he gave everything at the end of a game. The exactly. hallmark of Press Virginia, even when we lost... When we got knocked out of the tournament in the last four years, there was never a single game that you looked at and said, we quit. And that was Javon. And you saw a lot of that from Skyler. Uh, for sure. I think they're both gritty players. And for some reason, people just don't want to give that to Skyler. They don't want to acknowledge that. I don't understand it. I mean, yes, there, there's good Skyler and there's bad Skyler. We saw bad Skyler. Bad Skyler is bad. Like, <laughs> bad Skyler yes. was bad. And I'm sure he knows that. <laughs> like, 
But, but that doesn't change kid. what he did. I mean, 10 wins in the season. I, I don't know. There's been like, five years that this program has won 10 games. And Skylar Howard was the quarterback for one of them. Now, is it, the, is it as flashy as past 10-win seasons? No. But it's a 10-win season against one of the more stacked schedules that this program has ever had. So yeah, I, I could say... not be happier for him living his best life in Japan. And we are forever I... in Obixi Calls block. Absolutely. <laughs> and we've actually, like, like you said, we've made contacts in Japan over this. I mean, this is actually really cool stuff going on. And I'm so, like, happy to be part of it. And we will be giving you the hard-hitting X-League coverage that you deserve in the fall. Right. I've actually, like, learned players' names from the X-League. <laughs> like, this is really cool. I love it. I love everything about it. And now, um, transitioning to another former West Virginia quarterback that is living his best life, I guess. If you want to call it that. If you, that's what you want to call it. Um, this week's dumb thing of the year of the week is Oliver Luck is the commissioner of the XFL. I don't News know that what came to out say of nowhere. about that. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense if you consider his career. Uh, after he didn't become the NFL commissioner, he's bounced around uh, from job to job. Uh, I mean, we could go down the list. What the Houston Dynamo? He was in NFL Europe, uh, WVUAD, then whatever position he has, the NCAA. And what I'll give him, it puts a little bit of a legitimate face on this league that until now has basically been a propaganda machine to an extent, and I'm not going to go down that road. Right. But it puts the face of someone who's succeeded in a whole lot of different hats. There's never yeah, been a place that he's left that has not been better, for the most part, for having Oliver Luck in that seat. It's just very weird. It's it's so weird. Like, I, I've grew up watching wrestling i know vince mcmahon like i know how he is and this just like it doesn't seem like a move that he would make it, i just keep it just sounds so weird but from a league that despite the branding being the same seems to be trying to Things not can succeed compare at itself to the, to the original period. xfl where they're trying to build some interest and get this thing into cities. What are they putting in six teams? Uh, eight. Eight. Teams. Okay. Not bad. So it's a guy. I mean, he has contacts around the country, Indianapolis, Houston, that can get people to buy into it. He's never failed anywhere, and I shudder to think where we'd be athletically if he wasn't in charge during that big transition period. It's just so weird. I mean, but like we've said, he's dropped off. It's been his MO. I'm not saying that as a bad thing, but well, I, I feel like he wants his legacy being to be it, have his hands in as many things as possible and succeed in as many faces as possible. Right. And I think 
maybe what pushed him this way is what has he done for the NCAA? Like we've Nobody not heard knows. anything that all yeah. No. So I think Oliver Luck is a guy that likes to get stuff done, and the Definitely. NCAA doesn't get anything done. <laughs> it's an organization that so is he looked far at this, away. Right. He looked at this opportunity. He was like, "Well, I can make this legit." So I think it it it's kind of a perfect fit, but at the same time, it's still like mind blowing. It was just so out of nowhere that. I think it's I a slam dunk hire for McMahon. Yeah, I, like is real. Is <laughs> Schefter like I didn't was is this a darn Schefter? Like, yeah. or did we get chaps? Like, like yeah, exactly? Did Uncle Chaps just get us again? <laughs> but but no, it's real. It's uh, and I can't say he won't succeed. Insane. I can't say how long he'll be in that seat or how long that league's even going to exist. But it puts a legitimate face on it. In a face that hasn't failed, really. I mean, you can say how we performed in the Big 12. I mean, still average to above average and very successful in basketball. I mean, people don't like to travel. But without him, we're in the AAC. Without Making, a doubt. What, less than a million a year? Like... Yeah. Like, he secured the bag. He did what he had to do. It was nobody's first choice. It wasn't our first choice. It wasn't the Big 12's first choice. But it was a partnership that had to happen for a lot of parties, and he had the contacts to make it work. He did the legwork. Yeah, our program success in the last couple decades before that helped. But that was a transition period where so much was fueled by television sets that we can't provide. That if Oliver Luck wasn't here to do the sales pitch, we're in the boat. We're in the same boat as UConn and Cincinnati. Just in purgatory. Basketball would be fine because we have Bob Huggins. Like, nothing would change for basketball. I shudder to think about that. But (laughs) our football program would be in very dire straits. So, I think that's it. For this inaugural episode of West by Pod Virginia, presented by the Smoking Musket, we thank you for joining us on this incredible journey of podcasting fun, and we'll be looking forward to next time, where we're going to do a deep dive, teams 1 through 10, on the entire Big 12 conference, and we'll also have some NBA draft review, we'll have some answers for Javon Carter, but we are looking forward to that. Until next time, have a good one. We interrupt our programming. This is a national emergency. Important details will follow. Okay, so emergency update to the podcast. We recorded this a couple, or the majority of the podcast a couple hours ago, and like clockwork, a half hour after that, the first trailer for Fallout 76 dropped, and it was hinted um, a couple weeks ago, or week or so ago, that it would be set in West Virginia because they used country roads in the initial announcement trailer. 
Um, but it has been confirmed that the whole game will be based all across West Virginia. Um, we've seen in their announcement today videos um, from Charleston, Morgantown, Point Pleasant, New River Gorge Bridge in there a couple times, and we here at West Pipod, Virginia, are hyped. Very hyped. Like, extremely. I can't wait. Uh, November 14th, I think, was, was the release was date. The release date, they're going to have a beta period in which hopefully the overlords at SB Nation will pay for us to be in the open beta so we can start building Musket Town. Oh, it is going to be an entirely online experience, which is a departure from the franchise, which if you're not familiar with it, which some of you may not be, Fallout is an action RPG series, um, basically based on a post-apocalyptic America, um, with the key difference being that despite the fact that it takes place in the future, technology sort of always stayed styled in the 50s. So even though you have advanced technology, it's a very 50s camp. It's a fun environment. It has been set in the past in California, Nevada, uh, Colorado, out west is where it started. And then when Bethesda took over, they moved it east and did Washington, D.C. and that surrounding area in Fallout 3 and Boston in Fallout 4 as well. It's going back out west for Vegas in Fallout New Vegas. Yeah. But uh, now... Fallout 76 is the prequel to all these games. So it's yeah, so f- basically the beginning of the story. Yeah, so Fallout 76 is going to take place from a control vault. Basically, the backstory is there were hundreds of vaults around the country. Um, most of them were like twisted experiments that were sort of like given the guise of being for your safety during the apocalypse, but uh, Vault 76, the home vault in this game, is actually a vault that was meant to repopulate the world after the war. So 25 years after the bombs fell, it's going to reopen and all of us are going to emerge and repopulate the world, which is very freshly irradiated so it's going to be very different um from fallout games that you're used to you're not going to see as much development or possibly not as much as the same creatures as before so it's exciting it's going to be a new experiment and they seem to be embracing um the west virginian folklore of it right yeah uh, we saw mothman we saw the the flatwoods monster um i'm sure we'll see like jim justice mutant Stomping around the Capitol. Bob Huggins, Super Mutant. And then... <laughs> Dana Hogan Dana is be... probably just going to be the same. Right. <laughs> but thanks to uh, Jason Kirk from SB Nation and Shutdown Fullcast, he will now be drinking Rad Bull. It'll be the only <laughs> difference. So yeah, uh, we're super excited about this game. And since it's all online, I'm not sure how it's going to work. But if we could make a like a like Musket Town, like you said, 
I'm completely for just letting people in and checking that out. That's let's <laughs> make it a, a musket uh, thing. I know Wide Right Natty Light did a whole uh, Fortnite tournament and stuff. We should we should go into the game business. <laughs> if this is our venture into esports, yes. So it looked like settlement building was very big in Fallout 4, and it looks like they've just gone with that as their role. I'm very much into the background lore of Fallout, so I do hope that we do get some story there. But the fact that it's going to be taken, it takes place so far away from the rest of the series, I think it is really going to be a make-your-own-adventure kind of thing. So I'm excited to see where it is. But we did have to jump in here and record a quick segment on it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of... It's all over social media, West Virginia social media today. Um, and from, like, like you were talking about, some of the, the still photos we saw, the, the Greenbrier was one of them. And it was, like, really realistic. I noticed on the the announcement video tonight that you can actually see like one of the actual buses that they use to transport guests around the, the hotel. That's in crazy detail. And I'm really excited. Just tried to like get out and branch out and see what else they have. Uh, I think I saw somebody say they had like the green bank, uh, observatory. So it's going to be awesome. Yeah. They've always done a good job of monuments in this game. Um, I'm excited to see what, the surrounding city is. I'm very interested to see what the role the bunker in the Greenbrier, if it plays into Fallout lore at all. Um, my theory was that it was going to be the vault. It didn't seem like that from the gameplay footage today, but I'm excited to see what kind of role that plays into the whole series. And I'm, I'm hoping there's a little bit of a chance we see some beginnings of the Enclave, one of the main villain groups um, in Fallout, which was the remnants of the pre-war government. Um, there's some interesting places that this game could take the lore of Fallout, which I won't get into right now. Uh, we will definitely keep up to date with the news on this and have some fun content on the site as it gets closer to and after the launch of the game. If, if only so as this we was learn released, more, like, next month, because this would be perfect summer of content. content but... Yeah, I was really hoping that it would be a <laughs> summer launch. They're just going to blast it out um, in the beginning of July. I was really thinking it was going to be a 4th of July launch because of the backstory of that particular vault, which would have been great for summer of content. But... We'll deal with what we deal with. Yeah, we'll take it. Well, a lot of people will be excited. I'm excited to expose more people to the Fallout world that I'm a huge fan of. So, we will see. We'll see how it goes. I wasn't the biggest fan of Fallout 4, but it was enjoyable, and I will obviously be getting my hands on this as quickly as I can. Yeah, I I don't know how much the, the Power Armor Special Edition is going to be, um, but I might try to spring for that. <laughs> I want that glow-in-the-dark map. Or expensive. Yeah. 
we just needed to hop on, add this into our podcast because we are now one episode in and we're officially podcasters because news breaks the second that we stop recording it. And we have our first emergency addendum on episode one. That was exciting. That was a great and start. we're going to go ahead. That was a great start. We'll go ahead and sign off and remember that war never changes. Fallout has settled. You must rebuild. I belong.